Uh, most companies want to serve their customers well. And if you're a fan of Chick-fil-A or you're a fan of like the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, um, you see that there are these practices that happen. But what fascinated me was underneath all that was really a focus on employee experience. Welcome to Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with Benj Miller. And today we have with us Chris Green. Chris is the co-founder and partner at Arch and Tower. Chris, welcome to Tractionville. Thank you for having me, guys. Chris, I've been excited to have you on this show. We've known each other for a long time, and you're probably one of two, maybe three people that I know that that think about the customer and the employee experience very, very deeply. So I've been excited to have you on because a lot of times we talk about culture, we talk about our customers, our marketing strategy, but rarely do we get into the nitty gritty of their experience. So I'm going to open the mic just to you. Give us a little taste of who you are, how you got here, what you guys do, and then we'll dive in. Yeah. Well, Chris Bench, thank you so much for having me. Uh, thrilled to be here today. Um, our firm started in uh, 2017. We are a consulting uh, services firm that you know supports our clients around customer experience, employee experience, and then we undergird that with some operational excellence practices. Um, and so, in 2017, we got an amazing contract with Chick Fil A to help them reimagine their hard skills training. And from there, we grew the business. Um, started, I think we've done around 30 projects across Chick-fil-A and then added um, 10 or 12 other companies now that we're serving primarily in the middle market space. Um, and so uh, in 2019, we did a merger and acquisition uh, with a, uh, a firm named Fraser and Dieter, which is an accounting firm. And the goal there was to add uh, more holistic consulting services to what's traditionally been a compliance-based business, uh, which is really helping their vision to be a more client-focused organization. Um, so it's been an exciting, uh, exciting few years uh, as we grow. Excited to be with you guys today. So take us into why customer experience why employee experience why how did how did you get so passionate and how did you how did you get your brain wired the way it's wired to like that seems to be like the filter that you just force everything through yeah that's an interesting way to say it um i, th I think a lot of our backgrounds shape uh who we are and I grew up in a house where my mom had me reading leadership books in high school, um, where all my other friends were watching, you know, movies. My my, my mom handed me leadership and self deception uh, when I was like in ninth grade. So, and she had me taking assessments in ninth and tenth grade. So I started at a really early age to to think through uh, leading yourself and leading others. Um, I was a decent athlete, and so you know, I always found myself as a captain of a team, and and those types of practices have always been kind of front of mind for me. Uh, when I got out of college at University of Georgia, I worked for a commercial real estate company, and I was like 23 or 24 year, year old know-it-all, right? And uh, my marketing team that I worked with uh, seemed very dysfunctional to me. And so I went to the chief marketing officer and I just said, hey, uh, I know a few things. I've learned a few things. Could I partner with HR and could I help develop some practices here that maybe we could lead through? And he was like, uh, okay. Uh, take a whack at it. And we did. And that really fed my hunger at, uh, at age 23 to figure this stuff out. And, and from there, I started to build. And, and Benj, you and I first met really around uh, 
a side business I was creating around consulting, around customer experience. And all that flows into uh, most companies want to serve their customers well. And if you're a fan of Chick-fil-A or you're a fan of like the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, um, you see that there are these practices that happen. But what fascinated me was underneath all that was really a focus on employee experience. And, you know, the, the old principle that if you romance your employees, they'll romance your customers. That really stewed in my heart, in my head for a long time to the extent that we started to build uh, practices around how do we cause amazing employee experiences with our clients so that that flows out to their customers. And that's really what we spend our time uh, consulting companies on. Chris, take us into, uh, I'm really interested about the employee side of this conversation. Can you dig, dig a little deeper on that employee experience and, and, and just tell us what you're doing there? Yeah. Well, when we get a call from a client who's struggling with something, you know, most people are motivated by two things, either pain or gain, and sometimes both. Um, so they generally come to us with some operational issue. Um, there's something broken or something not working. Employees are leaving. Um, customers are dissatisfied. Or it could be as simple as an IT challenge that seems to be distracting them from their business. Um, and what we find in every single case is if we just stop for just a moment, and we, we listen through what they're saying, not just to what they're saying. There's almost always a people challenge behind their operational challenge. I know you guys know this with EOS uh, better than anybody. And so what we do is we always start by investigating um, and being crazy curious about what's really going on. And behind those operational challenges, you find that people are generally uh, not operating at their highest level for a myriad of reasons. So one of the tools we bring um, to our clients early on is really understanding yourself as objectively as possible. We do that through personality assessment tools. Uh, we use Right Path, one of my favorite tools. Um, and we, we use other tools and, and things that have been around for decades. And one of those is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a very, very simple framework. And if you're not familiar with the hierarchy uh, in this type of style, all it is is um, a journey toward where you are today to where you want to be in the future. And there's some checkpoints or gates you have, have to pass through to get there. And so Maslow was great. He passed away in 42, but the content he created uh, in his career uh, stays with us today. And so if you want, I'll run you quickly through kind of how that applies. Yeah. We have a personal uh, context for it. We have an organizational context for it, which is really unique to what we're doing. Um, and then if you understand that, you can start to diagnose where you are as a person or as a team or as a company. And then you can start to figure out what, what your next step would be. So that's why we love it. So practical. So starting at the bottom, every human being has to worry about their survival. Uh, and it, it, if you have any homeless friends or you, you've been homeless or you know someone who's homeless, all they can worry about in a day is, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to drink today? Where am I going to sleep? Where Where's a warm place to be? And if that's where you're operating at survival, that's all you can worry about in your life. And so it's hard to progress through the hierarchy until you solve for those needs. But for most of your listeners, uh, I'm certain that they've solved for this and they've at least moved to the next layer, which is security. And the security layer uh, really depends on your culture and where you live in the world. Uh, for some cultures, security is physical security. If you're, you know, if, if you're in a war-torn uh, country, uh, you may be worrying about, am I safe? Like, like literally, can I walk outside of my house and, and feel safe? In America, this tends to translate more through um, financial security. You know, do I have margin in my life? If, if I lose my job today, can I still pay my mortgage? Um, how am I feeling in that area? The challenge with this area is if you don't feel sure about where you are, you get stuck on this level and it's hard for you to progress down the hierarchy. So it's really important for people on the security level to 
to shore up their finances, shore up their uh, their job. You know, if it's, if they don't feel like they're gonna, you know, or if they feel like they're in danger with their boss or their their work, or they don't feel uh, connected to the mission of their company, and that creates insecurity in them, then you've got to do the work to secure that. And when you do, you get to progress to the next level, which we call the relational level. And that's uh, you're building on that security that you you've uh, in the margin from that security to then focus more of your time and effort on building the relationships around you. You know, uh, that could be personal. You know, when you come home, do you feel like your spouse or your roommates or your friends are a haven for you? Uh, do you find rest at home or is it a stressful place to be? If it's stressful, then you haven't solved for those needs. You know, you have to find relationships that you can build a platform on that are supportive and helpful um, and healthy. And so if you build that platform of relationships, then you can move to the next level, which we call the growth level. And that's where you leverage those relationships. You know, even, even an example of that is, is this conversation here, you know, knowing, knowing you guys for a while, being able to leverage those relationships to then help other people grow, you know, uh, so in this level, you're, you're investing in your career, you're investing in your emotional intelligence, you're investing in your, um, just your skills. Um, and if you do that well, and you really build uh, momentum around that, then you can move to where Maslow stopped in 1942, which he called self-actualization. And that's a, a complex way of saying reaching your potential, self-actualization. Uh, we call it thriving. And if you find the thrive layer, you're, you're killing it. Everywhere you go, you, t you tend to find momentum. Uh, people are for you. They're pushing you. They're putting you out there. That's really where you go, man, I'm really feeling like I'm where I need to be. And then in the 90s, psychologists picked up the research and said, we feel like there's somewhere deeper. And we, we call that the give back layer. Uh, they called it transcendence. And all that is, is psychologists said, there's a deep, the deepest need we have as human beings is to help other people reach their potential. And so you see people like Bill Gates, who's a little controversial right now, but if you just think of him objectively, he's reached so much potential in his life. He's spending all of his time figuring out how to make the world a better place. He's now looking to find how to give back to the world. And really what he's doing subconsciously is trying to solve for his deepest need. So same exact hierarchy, but now think in terms of your organization or your team. Um, and if you're you know, in a small business and you're growing, this could be a very small amount of people. And if you're starting to scale a bit, this could be a larger amount. So you really have to think about your context here. But if, you're, if your business is in survival mode, similar to our homeless friend, uh, you're, all you're worrying about is putting out fires all the time. So you're running around from fire to fire. You're on the phone constantly. You're coaching people up. You're just literally in survival mode. And when you do that, it's hard to progress to anything more important than that in your business because you're just putting out fires. And then the next layer would be security. You know, maybe uh, maybe you're not putting out fires, but the next couple of months are completely unsure. You have no idea. There could be a looming economic downturn coming. There could be a threat to your market, um, or it could be a you need a couple more people to part, partner with you in your business to get going. But that that lack of security keeps you there and keeps you focused on just putting out fires and solving the next day's needs. But if you can get past that security, then you move to that relational world. Now, in small business, this is a little bit unique. In larger businesses or middle-sized businesses where you start to have department, you know, departmental impact, this is where you start to see an organization silos and in internal politics. This is where departments aren't talking to each other. Um, this is a relationship across the aisle from you that uh, isn't necessarily for you, and they're they're subconsciously competing against you or uh, playing against you. A lot of things can happen on this relational world. But if you can build solid relationships, then that's that platform to get to that growth layer. 
Um, and this is where you start to see your employees operating on their own. They're building their skills. You're building your skills. And you start to see momentum where people are taking ownership of their own careers and then growing your business while they're simultaneously growing their own personal career. And then on the Thrive layer, you start to see the flywheel effect that Jim Collins talks about in good to great. You start to see results, accountabilities uh, being driven there. Um, you start to see momentum, uh, employees are thriving. And then ultimately at the top of this, if you get this right, um, you start to have a mentoring uh, culture where your best employees are now teaching the next folks coming up how to be great. And they're supporting them. Um, and that culture is this flywheel that keeps turning. The problem is, is if that isn't happening, and a lot of this isn't happening, your business is stuck. It gets stuck on survival and security. So if we take this to a, a higher altitude here, if your business is stuck on survival and security, and you find yourself going, man, if I'm diagnosing myself here, it's really about survival and security, then you're really focusing on the urgent, important daily responsibilities of your business. And that's about it. But if you can find margin to get up toward those relational growth, thrive, and give back layers, you have the luxury of spending time not on the urgent as much, but on the important long-term success of your business, where you're going to find better relationships, you're going to find more innovation, you're certainly going to find better employee experiences when people are operating at a higher level, and then those will flow out to your customers as well. So that's how you can take Maslow, uh, apply it to where your business is, diagnose where you are, and then figure out, okay, if I'm here, where's the next level and how do I build the ladder to get there? You don't need anyone's permission to change the world. At Roundtable Companies, we'll work together to discover your most compelling story for a book, film, or brand. Come to our table and tell your tale. We'll listen. And together, we'll discover the story that needs to be told to create your greatest impact. Their clients say it all. Dr. Danny McVetty, founder and CEO of Lap of Love, said, RTC has made my lifelong dream of writing a book easier and more imaginative than I would have thought possible. I had no idea where or how to start, but with RTC, all I had to do was talk. They take my ideas, organize them, put color to my stories, and make them into a compilation that I'm incredibly proud of. This process has quite literally been a dream come true. Start telling your story today. Visit roundtablecompanies.com for more information. That's so good. That security and survival. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, Chris. I talk about EOS is great to come into an organization, either when they're hitting a ceiling that they can't break through, you know, they're kind of going nuts, or they've got the tiger by the tail and they're, they're all at risk of getting out over their skis or the complexity is going to outgrow their capacity. And um, I can, that's almost illustrated in this really, really well. Um, you know, the security survival, you know, you're going to be hitting the ceiling and it's, everything's going to feel urgent and hard to overcome. Like it's super reactive, right? Yeah. And then you get up into the top, you're in that more, you know, you've got some momentum, but you've got to control it. So I, I'm curious on, on two sides here, as we look at that the top four, not the security and survival, we got to get past that. But when in that top four relational growth, thrive and give back, when do you start to see that transition into a benefit for the customers? Oh, wow. Great question. Well, I think if you have as many people on your team spending as many hours of their day in any of these four areas, you're winning. Um, because if you think about it, if you're just at the relational layer, maybe you're at the bottom of that good section, 
you know, what, what you're working on in that section is building healthy relationships. You're, you're dealing with conflict. You're learning how to have healthy conflict, uh, not just unhealthy conflict. Uh, you're tearing down silos between departments or people or work streams. You know, in small businesses, it's really not about departments as much as just work streams. You know, are your marketing, are the people working on the marketing stuff, you know, talking to the folks who are executing on other areas and are they learning from each other? So even on the micro scale, it's about tearing down those walls. So you see a lot of companies trying to figure out and where we tend to interject with companies is at this relational layer. Uh, we're trying to get folks to build those relationships that create that platform. Because once those are there, then it's just a matter of, okay, we know how to, I mean, think about when there's conflict between uh, business uh, partners, that is such a distraction in your business. You spend so many hours worrying about how to position the next conversation, worrying about how to convince them of something that you need them to do. And that is, that's where we spent. I mean, frankly, you know, two years of the first two years is figuring out how to get clarity on just precisely what direction we want. So there's so much time is spent on that relational layer. So my advice would be if you can build those healthy relationships, the rest starts to work. It just starts to work better and faster. You know, Chris, when you and when you do that, right, you're 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 pulling down all those walls and barriers, right? So we're having, you know, really good comms throughout. Yeah, we're a small organization, maybe not a lot of people, but certainly the people that are in there are wearing probably more than one hat, right? So communication is imperative. So as we get through the relational, I'm curious, when you get to the growth stage in this hierarchical view, that's when, you know, know, uh, Richard Branson says, you know, train your people so well they could leave you at any moment, but treat them so well that they never leave you. Mm. Right. So I'm in this growth stage. There's there's uh, you, you put all this time and effort uh, into not only relationships, but, you know, skill sets and just, you know, empowering people, giving them autonomy. But then all of a sudden. They start to leave. Yeah. And so I'm curious, Like I, I, I want to dig in there, like because that look, they say the last thing I read um Less than I read on millennials, they're going to have 26 or 27 jobs in their lifetime. Wow. So I'm, you know, how do we, how do we, if we're building great relationships, people are still leaving. Yep. Why? Fantastic. What a question. Um, you know, culture is definitely impacting that, you know, the, the whole staying 40 years and getting the gold watch is over. Um, maybe some folks will do that, but I, I think, you know, part of this is from my perspective, perspective driven by um, just the decentralization and and customization and personalization or even individualization of every product and service we take on. I mean, think about your social media feed. You can customize it. You you can pick who you want to follow. You can stop following someone. You can follow that over there. Your Netflix feed, you can tell it what you want and what you don't want. Everything in our world is customizable. Um, And now I think our jobs are customizable. We're thinking about our jobs or what are you doing for me? Um, as an employer, this is tough because we deal with this a lot. We deal with this even in our own business. Um, and I heard this great sentence that helped put some clarification on this for me. They said, well, what happens if we, if we train all these people um, and they leave? Uh, but the flip of that is even better. What happens if you don't train these people and they stay? Yeah. And so it really comes down to me about scarcity and abundance. You know, As a leader, if you have a scarcity mindset, you will leak scarcity. You, you will, you will always, in your micro behaviors, you'll be, you'll be telling people that 
I, I'm, I'm here to do the minimum. I'm here to do the least I, I have to, to make it work. Whereas if you take more of an abundant mindset, you start to go, Hey, we're just going to, we're going to teach, we're going to grow. And if you guys stay awesome, if you leave awesome, but we're abundant, we're, we're going to do our thing. And if this is a place for you, um, then awesome. And I think more often than not, the batting average for that abundant mindset is better than the batting average for the scarcity mindset. Um, Absolutely. 100%. You're, you're never, you're never going to keep everybody. You just can't, it's impossible. And if that's your standard, then that's probably too, too much of a standard, but I think you're going to keep a lot of great people. Uh, it sounded like you most commonly interact with companies initially around that relational area. Come in there and make sure that's strong. Give us some pointers. How do we fast track building relationships, especially if they've been broken or non-existent? Yes, uh, that is. Uh, there's some tried and true frameworks for that, um, and and all of our organizational mentor uh, Patrick Lincioni uh, or Lincioni, he he teaches us how to do this. And um, so, just quickly, uh, the first thing you have to do is you have to build vulnerability based trust. Um, without that, you have nothing to build a, a real relationship on. And what that means is you have to um, you have to be honest, you have to be transparent, you have to drop your ego down. Uh, and you have to be willing to say, Hey, I screwed this up. Um, and some of that, some of that feels really ooey gooey, but some of it's really practical. Uh, some of it comes down to when you're late to work and you're late to a meeting, um, and you text and you tell a little white lie that something held you up. And really all it was, was that you, you didn't, you didn't leave on time. Some of us just having the discipline to be honest in those moments and be open and vulnerable. Uh, and what you find statistically is when people are vulnerable, you trust them because they don't have a motivation to lie. And when you, when they're not lying, you can believe them. And when you can believe them, you can build a relationship on them. Uh, that's step one. Step two is healthy conflict. You have to have healthy conflict. A lot of folks don't think it's possible. Uh, depending on your personality profile, all conflict is bad. So you have to build the skills uh, to have healthy conflict with people. After that, it's about commitment. Are we all committing? I talked about the triangle. Um, about me, you, and us. Um, are we committing to the us? Um, and then there's a concept about disagreeing and committing. It is actually possible to disagree with the direction that our team decided to go and still commit to it. Um, in fact, that's healthy. If I could stop right there, and it's okay to disagree. I mean, we're, we're forging steel here. We're going to the anvil and we're hammering out trying to build this business, right? Yeah. And the last thing you want is a yes man or woman. Yep, that's great, boss. That idea is great. It's like, I love that part of it, right? The push-pull mm -hmm. of, of just flushing everything out. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in Jim Collins' book, How the Mighty Fall, um, there's a lot of that in there. There's a yeah. lot about, you know, confirmation bias and groupthink, you know, that destroys companies. So you're exactly right. But in order for that to happen without people feeling, um, uh, feeling, uh, distrusted or um, undercut, you have to have the other two features. You have to have the trust, uh, and the skills to build conflict. Um, once your commitment's in place, almost all companies fail in accountability and you have to have a way to hold people accountable to the commitment they made as a team. Um, which means you also have to have a great leadership team that considers that team as their first team. Um, is this the team, uh, that is your, your loyalty is here. Your loyalty isn't to your people in a small business that may not be a big enough organization yet to see that, but as those organizations scale and grow your, your loyalty is to your leadership team. It is not to the people who report to you. Um, that creates turf wars. And so, and then when you have accountability and it's happening all the time, then you have great results. And that's, that's Patrick Lencioni's, uh, healthy organizational model.
So take yep. this, take us, we, we got stuck here for, uh, on the, on the org side, but man, such good stuff. Yeah. Take us to the customer side. What does it look like when we translate this, flip it and look at it for the customer? Oh man. So we spend a lot of time, you know, helping our clients get their, their minds wrapped around this. And, and almost all companies are built the exact same way. Maybe let's stick with the triangles. At the top of the triangle is an executive team. And that executive team sets the vision, mission, and strategy of the organization. And then what they do is then they, they push that down to their department heads. And those department heads, it's their role to figure out how do I contextualize the strategy that's been laid out for my particular work department or work stream. Um, and then from there, they engage, say, some managers um, that report to them to figure out how to contextualize it for their individual uh, work streams or work areas. And then eventually, it makes it to your frontline workforce of, say, you sell a product or a service. Um, and we're talking about more complex organizations here. But um, that frontline workforce then has to look up, hear all the stuff they're supposed to do, and then deliver it to their customers. And it's the customers uh, that then experience the product or service that's created by that organization. And I call that the executive focused organization. That's like the most common organizational model in the world. In fact, everyone listening probably exists in that model right now. So what we did was one of our early clients asked us a question that kind of blew our minds. Who comes first, the employee or the customer? And we kind of rolled around in our heads for a while. We thought, man, what a great question. It's, it's kind of a paradox. And we realized there actually is a model and an organizational structure that you can build that answers yes to both. Actually, both employees and customers can come first at the same time. And the way you do that is you turn that model on its head. And instead of the executive team being at the top of the organization, they're now at the very bottom of the organization and more of a servant leader role. And so if you think about the executive team on the bottom now, their role is to change the conversation from here's your mission, go and do to how can I help you remove obstacles that are in your way of serving your employees and our customers better? And what I'm going to do is leverage my power and authority to remove those obstacles so that you can serve those folks better. And that happens all the way up the chain. Now the department heads go to the uh, corporate managers, the folks that report to them and say, how can I use my power and authority to remove the obstacles you have for serving our frontline workforce and our customers better? And then you go and do that. So on up the chain, it goes. And now your frontline folks who are interacting with your customers every day, their behaviors are, are communicating, hey, customer, what can I do to remove all the distractions and obstacles from you having a great experience with our company, our product or our service? And then they're going to use all of their power to remove those obstacles so the customer can have an unbelievable experience. Um, what's amazing about this model and the magic of this is that the conversations change. It goes from an authoritative approach in leadership, go and do this, here's your mission, go, to, uh, and those are all periods and exclamation points. It puts question marks on the end of a lot of your sentence. It adds more curiosity into your business, exploration into your business, and most importantly, servant leadership. And servant leadership is what customers pick on most. That's what you see at Chick-fil-A. That's why their satisfaction scores are so high. You saw that at the Ritz-Carlton. It was a servant-oriented organization. And if you build your organization with this in mind, I think you'll win. Yeah, you know, it's, as soon as you brought this uh, slide up, I had an immediate flashback to a client. Um, and when they built their accountability chart, which is an org chart on steroids, uh, hierarchical view, right? He flipped it. And he said, this is how 
I want the accountability chart and here's why, which, which everyone was like, okay. And it was exactly what you're talking about. Uh, customer focused. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, I, I, I won't go any deeper, but it blew me away and it was amazing. And, uh, and they were able, they had some issues in that area. Right. But just flipping it like that and taking that sort of mindset, the executive, the SLT, the senior leadership team is at the bottom and everything sprouts from there much, you know, like a tree. Uh, very, very cool. Yeah. It's interesting to, I don't mean to be a hammer looking for a nail, but within EOS, I think we're primed for this because the way that we talk about, we don't talk org structure, we talk accountability structure, and the accountability ultimately flows up to the what you're calling the executive team. And so that executive team um, is primed for that, but in the same, we have a methodology where we, we say, you know, we'll take, we'll escalate an issue from our team to the senior leadership team or to, you know, whatever that next team, if, if we can't solve that problem for the customer, we're going to escalate that. And so it gets escalated as high up in the organization as it needs to, to get solved on behalf of the customer. So we have a built-in mechanism within EOS to leverage, to do what you're doing, but I don't know how many people out there are actually thinking about leveraging it the way you're talking about. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And, and really, if you had to start somewhere, you just change your conversations. Just ask the question, what can I do to, to partner with you to help you remove the things that are getting in your way of doing better? Uh, that's a powerful question. If you did nothing else, if you just do that, your organizational change. So I have two questions for you. So if, if this really depends on your frontline workers seeing the opportunities to serve better. And I've definitely heard from leadership teams that they aren't the type of workers, you know, maybe they're lower on that hierarchy of, of needs. They're not great at identifying the market opportunities um, and the service opportunities. How do you approach that? Well, it totally starts at the top of the organization, or as we just talked about at the bottom of the organization, right? It starts with that executive team. You cannot skip. If you skip it, it breaks. Um, if everyone in the structure isn't singing the same song or doing things the same way, you start to get breaks, you know, downstream, whatever happens upstream, uh, will really scale downstream. And so, I mean, since we're talking a little bit about Chick-fil-A here, if you think about, and since, you know, we're in Atlanta and there's a Chick-fil-A on every corner here, we get to experience this often, you know, what happens at that front line is not accidental. Everything in the organization is built to support the front line serving well. Uh, in fact, Dan Cathy has a famous saying inside of Chick-fil-A that is, uh, if, you're, if you're not selling chicken, you better be supporting someone who is. And that message is very abundant in the organization. And so everything operationally um, in the conversations are built to make the local restaurant the hero and to make that frontline workforce the hero. And so they train, they train a lot, they train hard, they train aggressively, there's a lot of feedback. That's what creates a frontline workforce. If, yeah. if your model is, you know, well, let's just, let's onboard them on the first day and uh, that should be enough, then you're set up for failure. Um, the Ritz-Carlton had daily standups every morning before every shift. They did five minutes. They reviewed their vision, they reviewed their mission, and they went over one of their service standards every single day. And at the Ritz, they had 20 service standards. So they basically covered it before every shift um, once a month. 
And so that, that was a way to keep these principles and these ideas in front of their workforce. But that's the type of operational rigor it takes to be successful. You can't do it by accident. It has to happen with rigor. Chris, does this model apply to more of the blue collar business where you've got guys in pull and die shops or paving roads, whatever it might be, where they, they don't even know who their customer is. They've never met them, seen them. Does this apply there or is there a version of this that works? Our uh, two biggest customers right now are that model. And we've been absolutely blown away. In fact, uh, I just got back yesterday from visiting uh, some of these sites that, in quarries. So we're talking about some of the most blue collar guys you'll ever meet, you know, covered from head to toe in dust. And they're out there learning these tenants uh, because it, maybe you're not customer facing. But if you think about your peers in your office as your internal customer, it applies. And so what we have to do out there is... Uh, we just have to teach them all the same things that executives have learned. We have to teach them about who they are, how they're wired, how they're made. And then it becomes self-evident evident to them how they can leverage who they are um, for better. And it goes back to our Maslow's hierarchy. I don't care who you are, where you work, and what you do. We are all wired the exact same way. We all want to move from success to significance. And I don't care if you're a blue collar worker uh, digging a, a ditch for a living, or if you're, you know, the richest executive in the world, we all have the exact same set of needs. Chris, I feel like we could talk forever. I really do. And I think our audience is probably going to eat it up too. So if, audience, if you're, you know, Tractionville, if you're out there and, and you want a part two, let us know, we'll get Chris back here. But um, as we wrap up, first, tell me, if people want more, if they want to learn about Arch and Tower, if they want to learn about Create Screen, where do they go? Yeah. Well, you know, we have our website, archandtower.com, A-R-C-H and tower.com. Uh, and specifically, if you do archandtower.com slash resources, we have a few helpful things out there. We have a 14-point checklist. So if you're sitting around the circle and you just want to talk about some of these things and, and let that lead your leadership team meeting or a departmental meeting, uh, you can use that as a way to uh, create some conversation. We also uh, on there have a, a checklist, which is a, a massive set of questions. Um, and of course, if you're, you're, if you're asking great questions, you tend to get great answers. And so a lot of what we do is just asking great questions. So we'd love to love to offer that to you guys, which you'll find on that resources page. And of course, if you need a little help uh, thinking through it, um, even just in a 15 or 20 minute call, uh, happy to happy to do that. And maybe Benj, we can put uh, put my contact info up there if anybody wants to reach out and chat more. That is extremely generous of you. Very generous. Chris, as we wrap up, we like to ask just if you could give the advice, one piece of advice from your bank of wisdom and knowledge and experience out there for the senior leadership teams that may be a little ruffled by realizing that they don't have what you're talking about. Give us a little piece of wisdom to leave today. What's, what would be your number one takeaway? Yeah. Well, I think the takeaway is uh, it's worth it. Um, that's the biggest thing. Um, if you're a short-term thinker, if you're someone who needs something uh, that's going to work next month, uh, this isn't it. 
this is a long-term mindset. This is, uh, this is a way to build uh, long-term value in your business. It's a way to create differentiation from your competitors, uh, but it's absolutely worth it. And I think, Benj, your market being small business and entrepreneurs, it's a brilliant time to do this before you scale and your problems scale. If you can do this and get this culture set now, you can scale this. And, not only, and then when you scale, you'll scale big and you'll scale hard. Um, and so that'd be my encouragement. Start now while you're small. That's so great. Tractionville, we got some work to do. I'm challenged and encouraged at the same time. Thank you, Chris, for being here. Tractionville, send us a note. Let us know uh, if this impacted you, if you felt it, if you want a part two and other topics that are mined. We'll see you next week for Tractionville Tuesday. Tractionville Tuesday.